Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg, presented by Clear. Enroll today at clearme.com slash Peter and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. What a bizarre, disruptive year in travel, with another roller coaster year to come. So, as we take stock of the past 12 months on a global scale, I'll speak to some professional travelers and get their view of the world and the year ahead. There's author Aziz Abusara, who argues that it's not where you travel, but how. Then, Gary Leff, the founder of ViewFromTheWing.com, with an update on the real definition of inflation as it applies to travel and it may not be a pretty picture. Then writer Doug Lansky, who lives in Sweden, on the country as a model for adjusting to COVID, or not, and the truth, at least how he sees it, about masks. First up, Aziz Abusara. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas, and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. A lot of people you meet here, it's a convergence of about 6,000 people both in person and online, all with one goal in common. How do we manage after COVID? How do we get through to get from point A to point B with the least amount of abuse and the least amount of bureaucracy? And then how do we be able to maintain the opportunity to immerse ourselves 
in a genuine, authentic cultural experience where we're not just checking off a box or a bucket list. And joining me now is someone who knows a little bit about that because he's a National Geographic Explorer. He's a TED Fellow, and of course, he's also the cultural educator at National Geographic Explorer, Aziz Abdusara. How are you, sir? Hello, thank you for having me, Peter. And normally you live in, you, you say you commute between Jerusalem and? And South Carolina. <laughs> Not everybody can make the, that claim. The two centers of the world, no? <laughs> well, one of them is, I mean, if you want to go that way. But at least you're bridging a big gap there. Right. And, 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 and certainly educating a lot of people in Israel about South Carolina and vice versa. Uh, when you come to a summit like this, uh, one, of my, one of my points that I've been making here is that everybody talks about a word that I think is overused or a term which I don't even think exists called pent-up demand. That's a lie. The, the demand has always been there. Absolutely. It's, let's not kid ourselves. And it's not really a question of whether we're going to travel or when or if. It's a question of how. That's always been the question. And now it's been accelerated by the pandemic. It's been, in a sense, intensified by the pandemic. And now we have to figure out what's our plan of attack here, right? Uh, absolutely. I, actually, it's funny you mentioned that. This is one of the things I always say when I, I do talks, or uh, is not uh, where you travel, but how you travel is what's important. And even before the pandemic, that is one of the most important questions we have to always ask ourselves. Well, other than a vaccine passport, how has travel fundamentally changed in the last 20 months? Well, it's become a lot more hassle for people to travel. I just led a trip to Israel and the West Bank uh, last week. And there are a lot more restrictions, entry restrictions. You need to have the vaccine passport. You need to have a PCR. You have to have, uh, you have to isolate yourself for the first 24 hours until you get results of an arrival PCR. So there is a lot of that. Your contact with locals is more limited. Uh, there are restaurants who might not be excited about having tourists still. Um, so, so there are a lot of these challenges. But to me, these are, despite all of that, people, the moment borders opened, people were so quick to sign up. People are saying, yes, I want to go. And so within day one of opening the borders to Israel and the West Bank, we had already a group ready. People saying, I want to travel. Yes, it's going to be a hassle. It's going to be a problem. It's but not going to be gonna easy. But they're going to go anyway. Yeah, yeah. We had, on day one, the country opened up for tourists. I already had a group there. Well, the argument is, of course, travel and tourism is now part of our cultural DNA. It's not that we want to travel. We need to travel. Right. That's how we achieved everything, I think, is that curiosity, that need to know that we want to see something we haven't seen before. We want to learn something we haven't learned before. That's what drives travel. It's not... I think we often mistake travel for only leisure, that we go to a beach and we just want to lay on the beach and do nothing. But most of people who travel really want to do more than that. They want something different. They want to feel they, they are learning. They are especially experiencing now, something. Especially now. They, they want to immerse themselves because there's, they feel a ticking clock. Um, you know, we saw this in 2008 when we had the economic debacle, right. where you saw a huge explosion in multi-generational travel, because I, I looked at it as sort of like the last supper approach to travel. Everybody says, if we don't go now, we're never gonna go. Grab the kids, let's go, we'll bring granny, and everybody stayed close together, and off they went. Isn't that sort of like what's happening now? Oh yeah, uh, 100%. I think we saw it even in the midst of the pandemic, when we were not able to leave our homes for a while. People went to virtual travel, not because they love virtual travel, it's more challenging, it's not as immersive, but they were so 
into like, I need to explore something. And to me, that was hopeful. Museums started selling tickets online for, for virtual travel that they haven't thought about doing that before. We reached in new people that we would never have reached without that virtual. And now as things opening up, those virtual tours are encouraging people saying, oh, I did that museum as a virtual tour. I want to go and see it. And now you want to really see it. Right. It's not a replacement, which is, I think, some people were worried, kind of like when TV was invented, that nobody's going to go to a movie theater. We're worried that, oh, when VR travel is existing, we're not going to want to travel anymore in person. And it does the exact opposite. And that's the point I'm trying to make as well. Technology is not the answer, but it's a tool. A hundred percent. Uh, you know, here we are at, the, you know, at a place that's, that's binding itself as a tourism innovation summit, and everybody's showing off a new gadget, a new app, a new, a new system, but the one thing that they have not, I, I hope they haven't forgotten, is the desperate need for conversation. You, you're absolutely right, and the book I, I, I just gave you is, is exactly all about that. I think and the book that you just gave me is called Crossing Boundaries, by Aziz Abusara. Thank you. Uh, and, and thank you for letting me have the book. I'm, I'm going to read it because that's what I do. I cross boundaries every four days, whether my team likes it or not, <laughs> but it, I do. It's the most exciting thing for me to do. Putting yourself in an uncomfortable sometimes situation, learning about a perspective you didn't know. And to me, travel is an act of diplomacy. It's an act of peacemaking. It's also an act of accidents, and I'll explain. When I talk to everybody, and, I, and I'll put you in the same category, and I'm going to ask you the same question. Tell me, when you think back to all of your travel experiences, and you come up with, these are the five that are the most amazing I ever had, I'll make you a bet that at least three of them happened when the, when, when the plan didn't work. Three of them happened when you turned left instead of turning right, and that's what made the difference. We think alike. I have a whole chapter on that. When things go wrong, and how you end up it gives you an opportunity when things go wrong to make connections because you're desperate, you can't fix the problem on your own and then you end up meeting someone who helps you and you create a connection. You overcome a prejudice you might have had, a stereotype you might have had because something didn't go well. And that happens again and again and again everywhere I go. I, I don't worry about things not going well because I know it will turn out okay. So basically you almost have a, a, a sort of a... <laughs> A subliminal plan to get lost. Yes, I think it's actually, I've done it a few times on my own where I'll, re, I'll go to a city and I'll go out, turn off my phone, say, I'm going to just walk around and it's fine. I don't know where I'm going. I have no plan. And I end up at somebody's home having lunch or dinner and meeting people in the street and going to a market. And it's such a beautiful experience that I would not have had if I just had my phone telling me where to go every second. I have to say this, and it's going to sound terribly elitist, but I make no apologies for it. So many of my friends think adventure travel is going overseas to an American-branded hotel, staying in the room and ordering a cheeseburger, and thinking they're roughing it. I will give you those two words that you just talked about, Aziz. It's get lost. Get out there and get lost. Get lost. I think also get out of the big cities. Don't only stay in the largest, more, com more comfortable places. Get out to a small town. Meet the people in those small towns. You will get a totally different perspective. I think my favorite travels, I went to Russia, stayed in Moscow for a few days, then I went to an area, small area called Kazan, and then small area called, small in Russian perspective, a small area called Samara. I had so many more 
positive experiences there. If you do that, even in the States, you know, if you only go to New York City, you only get one perspective of what the United States is. But if you go to smaller areas, to some village towns, smaller cities outside New York City, you'll get a totally different perspective. And we too often forget that. We, want, we go to, I know, the top 10 things you have to see people oh, by tell the way, you about. If anybody gives you another top 10, I'm going to shoot them. I don't want to hear about top 10. In and, fact, in fact, once I ask somebody, people will always ask me this, okay? They'll say, oh, where'd you just come back from? Because they know they can always ask me that question because I've always come back from somewhere. Right. And I'll tell them, they go, oh, it's not on my list. <laughs> I'm like, really? Who publishes this list? I mean, do you go out late at night? And then I found out the same people are asking me this question. I think they go late out at night and they synchronize the list. Because guess what's on the list? The same usual suspects. Yeah. Paris, London, France, Spain. Right? And then... In those cities, the top 10 things are always the same thing. And there's so much more. One, you and I might have a lot in common, but you might have some interests that are different than mine. Those 10 top things to do are whatever that writer thought is cool for him yeah. or her. Yeah. But some of us have other interests, some more into politics, some more into art, some more into culture, some more into leisure, some more. You can't have one top 10 for everybody because we are different and each one of us wants to see something different, experience something different. We've been speaking to Aziza Boussara, explorer at National Geographic, a thought leader when it comes to travel. And boy, do we need some thought leaders now as we try to figure out our way to navigate the world in this brave new world that we find ourselves in. So are there places right now that you tried to go, Aziz, that you couldn't? Or are there places that you've always said, I'm never going to get there, but suddenly you can? Yeah, I think in both. There are places that I wanted to go to. I was looking last month into going into Patagonia, uh, where I've done some work with indigenous communities, and I wanted to go and meet some of the people I worked with. And it was just way too complicated. The, the rules of entering for uh, tourists were, were not possible. I just read that they're about to open both Chile yes, and Argentina. They are about to open, and Uruguay so. as well. They're all opening now. Uh, what about Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia is a trip I'm planning for February for... Uh, Good weather. For taking... Yes, you, you don't want to go in the summer to Saudi Arabia, and that will be our, my first tour I'm leading there myself. So I'm really excited about that. It's a country that has not been open for tourists ever. Yeah, it was and closed for 79 years. Back in 2019, they made the decision to, to grant visas to just about everybody. And I think they were a little bit overwhelmed by how many people signed up right away. I mean, like 400,000 in the first two weeks. It's kind of like Cuba. Yeah. It's a place that was forbidden, quote unquote, and, and suddenly it opens up and people feel, oh, this place wasn't a, we couldn't go to for all this time. Even if it wasn't on their list, they went... It suddenly well, became, yeah. It's an access, it's, it's something new, it's something nobody have gone to. I want to go and see that place. So... I, I actually did in 2020, 2021, some training for tour guides from there, and there's some really great people oh, working. If you take there. a look at the entire Red Sea coast there that, they, that has not been really developed, which is a good thing. If you take a look at the empty quarter, if you take a look at diving outside of Jeddah, if you take a look at Alula, you know, they have a number of World Heritage sites there that nobody even knew were yeah. there. The Nabataean uh, yeah. ruins there Dorea, are, are like I mean, a Petra. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They. I went to one of the ruins there that, that, that rivaled Petra. Absolutely, you know. Not necessarily as well-preserved, but it told the story. Yeah, the, yeah. It'll, be, it'll be fantastic. I'm really, really looking forward to it, and that's a trip I haven't done yet, but I'm so excited to do. All right, so here we are at the summit. I've got to ask you this question. What lessons have come out of this that you think have to be learned 
and most importantly, have to be applied? Well, I, there's a few things in my mind. But one, I think as we progress more in the travel, we have to realize how powerful this industry is and how impactful it is on the world around us. And if we do it right, I actually believe it's the best act to reduce violence, misunderstanding, communication uh, problems in the world. Before the pandemic started, 1.4 billion people traveled the internationally. They crossed the border. That is incredible. If each one of us, when we travel, really think about, I want to learn something about people I don't know. I want to put myself in a maybe uncomfortable situation, meet someone I disagree with. Imagine what kind of transformation we can have in this world. So that's a lesson I, I hope we have learned from even the last two years, and definitely here in the Innovation Summit, I mean, it's just the power we have. And short of singing Kumbaya, which I'm not going to do, travel is the most powerful tool that I've ever experienced to break down boundaries and borders and build a bridge towards better understanding because it's something that people have in common. Mm -hmm. and, and I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. I, I innovated this idea. It's called dual narrative travel. And in it, I put guides from different backgrounds to lead trips together. So in Israel, I put an Arab and a Jew. In Bosnia and Serbia, about a Bosnian and a Serbian. In Northern Ireland, about a Catholic and Protestant. And I have them lead a trip for seven days, 10 days together. And it's fascinating because people would come on these trips expecting a fight. They're like, if you put an Arab and a Jew together, oh my goodness, they're gonna yell at each other the whole time. And they come and they see that doesn't happen. They actually, we realize we have so much more in common. They have a conversation, yeah, they disagree sometimes, but they have so much more in common and suddenly they start the guides themselves are going through transformation. The tourists are part of that transformation. Instead of a guide preaching at them, we end up having a conversation. Yeah, it's not an indoctrination. It's not an indoctrination. And, and to me, it's great to have people disagreeing on a trip. No place has a single narrative. No place is homogenous. We have diver diversity is what we really should be focusing on in travel. And yet, too often, I have to say, we try to sell this beautiful narrative. Everything is perfect in Spain, in, in, in England. And I was told by an English top executive once um, that England has all, doesn't have multiple narratives. There's only a one narrative. And oh, he's please. a travel executive. Oh, please. The thing that drives me nuts is the brochure language that every word ends in ST. Greatest, best, most, nice, loveliest. Stop it. We're smarter than that. There is not a single narrative. There never was and there never will be. And I fall in love with countries much more when I learn about the good things, the problems, the challenges, how they deal with it, because suddenly it's real for me. And when there is an issue there, I feel connected to it. When I read about it in the news, I feel connected to it. Trying to sell me a propaganda of how everything is perfect doesn't connect me to that place. My thanks to Aziz. Ever wonder if you're really getting what you paid for? Not just in terms of service, but size and amount? When it comes to travel, Gary Luff, who writes the ViewFromTheWing.com site, decided to measure. My next guest has become sort of a regular with us, does this all the time in his, on his website, ViewFromTheWing.com. He's the notorious Gary Luff. Gary, welcome to December and welcome to the show. Hey, thank you there, Dr. Greenberg. Good to chat with you and your listeners. Well, let's talk about something that you just wrote about that uh, was near and dear to me because I've been arguing now for over eight months that as we emerge from COVID-19, or think we are, and as the accountants are still running the asylum at airlines and hotels and restaurants and, and uh, cruise lines, 
that a lot of basic uh, definitions of hospitality are getting bastardized because they're using the pandemic as an excuse to cut back on service. And then what you just wrote about was it's being compounded by, guess what? Inflation. And uh, we all know that's happening. We all know what the price of goods and services are. And uh, you used an example uh, in your most recent column about uh, the number of potato chips in the bag. Why don't you explain? Yeah, so here's the thing. You know, you're not, we often just focus on the price of a product and say, well, it's going up. You know, what's that in terms of inflation? But it's also, you know, inflation is, needs to account for uh, how much of something you're buying. So when, you know, the, the price of a bag of potato chips stays the same, but they give you fewer potato chips in the bag, the price for chips has gone up, right? There's been, you know, price inflation in chips. Um, and we actually see very much the same thing in, uh, in, in airlines and in hotels where they're giving you less and the price hasn't changed. And so the, you know, cost of the overall bundle of services that you used to get is now higher. Uh, and there's also a lot of cases where what you're doing is paying for things in ways other than your money. So, you know, Delta has probably been the most challenged with its own lines over the last year and the long waits. But all of the airlines have had you know, really long phone hold time. So when you're calling up an airline and you want to buy a ticket over the phone, the cost isn't just how much they charge your credit card, but how much time it takes to engage in the transaction. If it takes you an hour on hold just to get through to an agent, there's cost for the value of your time that you didn't have to pay because they don't have enough reservation agents on staff to handle the call volume. Yeah, so similarly, you know, gosh, if you think about what the pandemic has been all about, it's in many ways inflation when you know, travel shuts down. If you haven't been allowed to visit Australia, for instance, what's the price of a trip to Australia? It's infinite, right? So it used to be you know, maybe $900 round trip, $1,300 round trip in economy, right? Well, now it's not just the price of the airline ticket. You can't go. Well, that's a, a sort of an infinite price. Right. Or, 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 as the, or, as the fo- or as the folks at MasterCard would say, priceless. <laughs> that would be the flip side, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, it reminds me, Gary, of, of a story that happened way before the pandemic to me and way before inflation. Uh, but I use it as an example. One day, I, I mean, I used to fly LA to New York all the time on the Transcon flights because I was doing the Today Show or CBS Morning Show, which I'm still doing. And I live in LA and I live in New York, so I'm always back and forth. And I get on the plane and on those Transcon flights, and this is American Airlines, they were defined by one thing that we valued. If you were flying in business or first class, guess what? You got an ice cream sundae. You knew it. It was a staple on the menu. And, you know, you didn't value the leather seats. You didn't value the in-flight entertainment. You knew the one thing you were going to get, like the old days on Midwest Express when you got the chocolate chip cookie, was you were going to get that ice cream sundae. And one day, I get upgraded to first class, and the menu comes out, and there's no ice cream sundae on it. And I say to the flight attendant, what happened? She said, well, they didn't think it was cost effective. I said, look, there are 16 seats up here. The minimum price for a ticket is $2,000 each way. If you made the worst ice cream purchasing deal in the history of aviation catering, the most you would have spent for an ice cream sundae is three bucks. And you're telling me for $48, you're willing to, to really anger 16 first class passengers? She says, I know, I know. I said, watch what happens. Because I had pre-boarded. Everybody got to their seat and a revolution broke out broke out. 
And people literally started booking away from American because of an ice cream sundae that really only would have cost the airline $3.40. And they finally had to put it back because they saw their market share shift. Now, that wasn't inflation. That wasn't pandemic. That was just stupidity, right? Because somewhere back in Dallas, there was some accountant at American who was in an orgasmic frenzy because he'd saved the airline $48. But how much were they losing in revenue? Now, let's jump ahead. Let's jump ahead about 20 years to what you're talking about now. Look, an airline CEO once said that you can make a pizza so cheap that no one wants to eat it. And, you know, there's two two interesting elements here. I mean, one is you know, if you've got to get somewhere, you're going to get somewhere and you're not going to not make that trip because of the um, bad pizza. You'll bring your own food and, and, and deal with it. But if you're going to be paying a premium fare, look, these airlines have loaded themselves up with so much debt. Uh, during the pandemic, in order to make this all work, they're going to need to earn premium revenue. They're going to need premium customers. And in order to do that, they're going to have to offer a product that people want to pay additional you know, incremental revenue for. Um, and some airlines are going to provide it, others aren't. And certainly on connecting itineraries, people have a lot of choice. And so they're going to gravitate to the airline that you know, is operationally reliable for sure, um, but then also that uh, treats them better. And treats them, you know, frankly, you know, as, you know, human beings and not self-loading cargo. Uh, and then if you're paying a real premium uh, that, you know, that, that offers that, that good product, it makes it worthwhile. I mean, otherwise, you might as well take the cheapest seat in the plane. And by the way, I'm stealing that line you just said. I love it. Self-loading cargo. Perfect. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm telling you right now on the air, I'm stealing that line. But forgetting that. Let's go to one thing that other people were used to used to get on a plane. It goes back to the you know to the 1930s and 40s. They got their alcohol. Now we've all seen over 5,000 cases with the FAA of unruly, disruptive, or downright violent passengers. And airlines like Southwest Airlines are saying we're not bringing the alcohol back. We're never going to give a decision about that until 2022. Other airlines are sort of sneaking it back on the pre-departure drinks. Uh, the flight attendants are clearly not happy about it because alcohol was involved in so many of these cases. But I got to say, three cheers to United. You broke the story. It's big news, folks. I'll let you tell them, Gary. Tell them what's coming up on United this month. Well, they're, you know, they're, they're bringing back elements of service that were suspended during the pandemic. And that includes um, you know, alcohol and, uh, and sales of alcohol. No, wait a second. Wait a second. You're bearing the lead. They're bringing back hot chocolate. Well... All right, so so that's the other thing is um, you know that, this is just a just for the holidays, a uh, very special thing for the holidays uh, is you know Ghirardelli chocolate, and you know the, you know we all know the a brand very much associated with San Francisco. United has a huge hub in San Francisco, and it does make you know the holidays a little bit nicer, and certainly uh, cold weather departures a little bit nicer. Exactly. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. My thanks to Gary. To mask or not to mask? That wasn't even a question in Sweden, as the country made it almost a policy not to have its citizens wear masks during COVID, aiming for herd immunity. So how did all that work out? A maskless Doug Lansky, who lives in Stockholm, has the report. 
Normally, my next guest is on the phone with me or in some kind of a Zoom connection. Today, I've got him in person here at the Innovation Summit. Uh, he's my go-to guy in all things Europe, especially when it comes to the Scandinavian countries, because that's where he lives, in Stockholm and Sweden, when he's not traveling around the world. One of our contributors also on Travel Detective on PBS, so check your local listings. Welcome back, Doug Lansky. Hey, great to be here with you in person. I know. So let's talk about, first of all, give me the update on Sweden, because you and I have talked about this before, when all you know what hit the fan, Sweden was one of the first countries that said, you know what, we don't care about social distancing, we don't care about masks, we're just going to, it's business as usual, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, they kind of, they do care about masks. The thing is that they said was, in a controlled environment with medical professionals, the masks are very effective. But out in the open, when people put them in their pocket, put them on their chin, take them off, stick them on, they're not nearly as effective as in a controlled medical professional environment. So they said, all those things being considered, it wasn't that big of an advantage. But when you were, li- oh, you still yeah. are living in yeah, Stockholm, yeah. did you ever wear a mask? No, never wore a mask. Uh, none of my friends, I also had Corona very early in the whole thing, and I had a very mild version of it. But having said that, when I went to the supermarket, when it was at its worst, 5% of the people might be wearing a mask at most. And same on the subway. There was never a mandate. That and we this had is to wear before them. you got vaccinated. This was before vaccination. This was like, yeah, the most anyone ever wore masks was maybe that I saw in Stockholm was maybe five, max 10% for a little while in any crowded public city. All the bars were open. The restaurants were open. They just closed. The restaurants just closed a little bit earlier. That's all. And then no big public events, no big soccer matches or concerts. But from day one, Everybody felt comfortable with that. Yeah, people were okay with it. They were a little bit nervous when they saw everyone else going into lockdown, but we were like the black sheep of Europe, right? But here's the crazy thing. Now that it's kind of nearing, we hope, the endemic of this whole thing, we're ranked 12th best out of around 30 countries in Europe. So despite the fact we had no lockdowns, no masks, we and no one can quite explain it. We're not sure. We think it might be weight and health related. We're not. We don't know for sure. But for some somehow we came out like right in the middle of the pack or even in the top third. I mean, are you guys the poster child for herd immunity? No, it never really kind of played out that way. It was more that it was just never because this happened before the herd immunity that it slowed down. The other thing that they're talking a lot about now, the big thing, is that in the next two or three years, we're going to see people who stayed away, not not so much in Sweden, but a little bit in Sweden, in other countries where they stayed away from the hospital. They, they were scared or, or, to go. Or, or, or it was not just stayed away. They couldn't get they couldn't get taken care of. Right. There wasn't the capacity, the bandwidth. For to, other things. For other things, like to get uh, mammograms or, or to get uh, like a small heart attack that they were worried about. They would say, I'm just too scared to go into the hospital. So what the medical professionals are now saying is that in the next two or three years we're going to see an increase in people dying from cardiac arrest who could have had that prevented had they gone early in during covid and got diagnosed and gotten the proper treatment same for like kind of skin cancer and other kinds of cancer that they just stayed away from the hospital and then they're going to go in now when it's too late and we'll see an uptick now that number is likely to be lower in sweden since there wasn't the same fear factor and that we had more bandwidth in the hospitals that uh, we, they're anticipating that Sweden's actually, in the next two or three years, when we look back on it then, is going to fare even better than we thought. So in the final, you know, the final analysis, they're expecting Sweden's not going to be this disaster that everyone feared it was going to be. Beware the law of unintended consequences. Yes. I mean, nobody ever thought that was going to happen. No. We were, like, ridiculed for so long. and But all my friends who are medical professionals and working in the hospitals, even in the ICUs, think that Sweden did it right. And they're, and then you're, by the way, you're the first person to tell me that because the, the, the conventional wisdom in the United States is that Sweden didn't do it right. Yeah, but, you know, now we're as we're kind of coming to the end 
of it, like I said, we're in the top third in Europe. I mean, countries like the UK, Spain, France that went into lockdown, that had mask mandates, that restricted everything. You know, and we also need to look at the bigger picture, domestic violence, depression, kids being home from school. Well, there was much less of that let's in Sweden. Let's talk about that. Yeah. That's an important factor. I mean, I think when we look at what happened in Uganda when this all went down was all the older politicians got so scared, they put everything in lockdown, the supermarkets, the stores, and people started dying of hunger. So you can't just avoid COVID by killing everyone off with hunger or something else. We have to look at the bigger picture of health and how many people survived during well, this period. Well, it's not just health. It's lifestyle and patterns of that lifestyle. Absolutely. You know, it, I go back to um, after 9-11 you know, and... And we were we were locked down. Airplanes weren't in the sky. Nothing was moving. Marriages were in the balance at that point because for the first <laughs> yeah. time, people had to look at each other because they weren't traveling. Absolutely. And, and look what happened in Australia. They've been in lockdown for so long, and now they're just opening up, and they're saying we have to kind of abandon that. They've, they're more vaccinated now, of course. It's a different situation. But a lot of these places, New Zealand as well, that they were in lockdown for a while, tried to keep it completely out. But it's in the end, they had to kind of give in and say, we can't quite keep it all, all out that's just not realistic. Well, the reality here, I think, on a global level, is that this virus is not going to be eradicated. It just has to be managed. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. But you mentioned domestic violence. That's a very interesting uh, byproduct, if you will, of of this pandemic because it changed people's lifestyles. Yeah. It forced them to be in closed areas together Absolutely. for long periods of time. Absolutely. And there's all sorts of side effects from depression as well. And they're even showing that so many babies that were born during this time in this very kind of uh, sterile environment are going to later develop more allergies because they didn't build up as strong immunity as infants. So this is what some of the immun immunologists are now predicting. So there's going to be all sorts of side effects from this that we're going to see play out in the next three to five years. It's an interesting thing that we... This is the thing the health minister in Sweden kept saying. He kept saying, it's too early. This is like the first five minutes of the first quarter of the basketball match. Stop trying to pronounce a winner and a loser. This is what he said early on when Sweden wasn't doing as well. But now he's proven more correct in that we need to look at the data, all the data at the end and see what the final tally of this is going to be. And we're not going to know all that, all these different side effects until another two or three years down the road. So Sweden, oh, and the irony of ironies, I have to say it, is when the European Union opened up and said Americans can go if they're fully vaccinated, you banned us. <laughs> Explain that. I don't, I, don't, I don't get that one. I don't get that no, one. No, I mean, this, that was like, okay, everything you, you said yeah, so far yeah, yeah. makes some sense, Yeah, Doug. yeah. I this know, one, I know. What, how, what was that? I don't know. But I mean, there's of all Americans, I know there were Americans showing up in Sweden. I saw a bunch of well, them. Well, maybe they were married to Swedes or they had some kind of family connection. Yeah. But for just regular travelers, they didn't you, want them. even if you're vaccinated, they say, don't come in. Yeah. Can I go to Sweden today? Maybe it's payback. Can I go to Sweden today? You know, I have to check. I, it's changing day by day, all these rules. I'm almost afraid to say anything for fear by the time this this airs, it's going to be different than what the stand yeah, well, says. Yeah, listen, it minute. changes by the hour. So, I mean, yes, we are taping this in advance, yeah. maybe by a day, who yeah, knows? Yeah. But the bottom line is, the idea that Sweden would ban me and I'm fully vaccinated? Yeah, I mean, but the U.S., uh, my friends who want to go to the U.S. who aren't don't have U.S. passports can't get into the U.S. Well, but they can now. No, they couldn't as of like two weeks ago when we were trying to book tickets. No, no, but, but November 8th was the day it opened up. So the, if you're fully vaccinated, you can go. Okay, there aren't we you, go. Aren't you glad you stopped by for this? So glad I get this info session. I appreciate exactly. the update. Or we could do the Swedish reciprocity deal and just ban them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's. I've got two passports. It's good by me. I do too. But I have I have two. Which two passports do you have? 
I have Sweden and U.S. Okay, I have two U.S. passports. Uh-huh. <laughs> do, you, do you know why? Was it, are they I, I'm not in the up? witness relocation program. Are you, no. are you filling up the passports a little too no, quickly? No, but you're close. The reason why I have two passports is if, well, first of all, I go to a lot of countries who don't like each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's number one. Number, so one stamp and one passport is not going to do you a lot of favors, right? But the other reason is a lot of countries still require visas. Yeah. So if I have to send my passport in to get a visa, uh, I'm now I can't travel. Yeah. So that's how I do it. That's starting to change. And that's legal, now. by the way. I'm not doing. Nobody right. did that special for me. Any American can have two passports. Didn't they just have the first commercial flights between Saudi Arabia and Israel now? So some of it's starting to. No, not Saudi Arabia. Bahrain. In Bahrain, okay. Yeah, Bahrain has it. Uh, the, the, uh, Dubai has it with Israel. Uh, there is still no peace treaty yet with Saudi. That's going to happen, though. Mm. It is going to happen, and yeah. the reason why it's going to happen is why does Saudi Arabia and Israel, even though they have no diplomatic relations right now at all, but why are they talking to each other? I have a feeling you're going to tell me. I'm going to tell you, because they both hate Iran. Uh Uh-huh. That's what they share in common. Okay. And the question is, and I'm not saying this out of school, I've been in some of those meetings, I've seen it with my own eyes and heard it with my own ears, they're just trying to figure out who wants to take out Iran. (laughs) No, they have all their contingency plans. They hate them. I love that you jump into this on a tourism program. <laughs> travel well, this show. Is not, no, this is not a tourism program. This is a news program. A news program That deals travel. in the largest industry in the world, which happens to be travel and tourism. Yep. You can't look at things in a vacuum. No, that's true. Right? I mean, you just said it. I mean, I just got banned from Sweden. What are you talking about? I don't know. Well, <laughs> I, I didn't ban you specifically, and, and I don't know that I have much clout there. But, you know, I'll, I'll see what I can do to, to get you in the door. Yeah, yeah, maybe you know a guy who knows a guy. I know a guy who knows a guy. Okay, great. The thing that, that amazes me now, you know, we've had 18 months during the pandemic to do a rethink, a reboot, a do-over, if you will, to sort of reassess our lot in life, maybe change the way we've done things before, maybe even change our location, maybe change our lifestyle, maybe even change our job, which explains why there's so many staff shortages in travel and hospitality. But then there's something else. What's being done in terms of innovation in the last 18 months to change the travel experience completely? Completely, and you've got a report on that. Yeah, well, I mean, just a, a 20 second recap of what's happened with tourism is they've realized they had a product. They had the Taj Mahal or the Great Pyramids or a big hole in the ground people wanted to see. And so they thought, well, if we just pour marketing money on that, we'll have more visitors. And now they've got more visitors over the last 60 years. And now they're going, whoa, we have too many visitors or they're not the right kind of visitors. Yeah. Is it it's- ironic that before the pandemic, the A list buzzword on everybody's agenda was over tourism? Over tourism. And what's the remedy for that is smart management. And so how do we do that? And everyone's talking about this management and being a smart destination and a smart city. No one knows what the heck that is. And furthermore, they don't have the tools to do it. And they don't have the training to do it. So they're sort of saying, oh, we're now a management organization as well. But they didn't train anybody. They didn't hire anyone from Disney to do it. Or they didn't, yeah, they haven't gone that way. If you look at at, uh, Greece as an example... They were they were basically you know confronted with over tourism, right? And their solution was, oh, we'll just expand the season and have people come in up between October and March. That doesn't really work, right? So I did this crazy thing about five years ago at ITB Berlin. I made a video. I said, can I show the future of tourism with a little video my daughter shot on her iPhone when she's thirteen? I taped a Hilton key card to a, a transport card and I put my own little funny logo on it and I showed that it was a hotel room I could walk into and then also walk into transport and I kind of made believe I could also open lockers in it in the train station walk into the VIP toilets and I thought like what if I we could actually do this what if we could connect everything to your hotel key which could also be a wristband or a ring or whatever you want to tie that to and then 
access everything. And what if we took the transport pass, or sorry, the uh, the city pass, and instead of saying you can go to these attractions whenever you want, we said you still have to just go on your sister app on, and pick a time. It's included, but you have to pick a time when you're going. That way, the entire city is line free, no queues anywhere. Walk straight in. It would increase the shopping because no one when they're when they're waiting, they're out of the consumer loop and they're disappointed. So it would lift the experience, lift the shopping levels, make everyone happier. And if we can also tie in some unique things, since we have this, we could put in some massage chairs, some nice lockers, all like you go to a museum, you open the locker with your hotel key, use it for free. Nice toilets, business class toilets cleaned between every use because what people do is they'll go back to their hotel room, they'll use the toilet there, they take a nap, they play on their phone, they watch TV. Now they're out of the consumer loop again. So by having business class toilets scattered around the city, you can actually increase the shopping and increase the experience. And then on the back end of that, it gives you great data that you anonymize so people don't feel like they're being stalked by Big Brother. But you can also have some cool things with included with great discounts. You can kind of see where people anonymously are. You can ring that with your finger on the phone from a management perspective, blast those people with offers for like 80% off on Starbucks that are 100 meters away and get them to kind of spread themselves out. Please don't offer 80% off on Starbucks Whatever. because it'll it'll start a stampede. Yeah. It'll start a stampede. Well, it's like a limited offer that goes out, but I mean, it, it's, it's... If you want to look about, you know, way. we talk about drug addiction in the world. <laughs> Let's talk about another kind of addiction. <laughs> Any city in the world that I go to, there's a line in front of Starbucks and people all look very, very agitated. Yeah, that's that's happening for sure. I think that's going to change though. I think they're going more independent, more hipster, cooler, one-off Maybe. cafes. So they can have a line over there. Hey, yeah. here's the other thing. You, you mentioned this this whole idea with technology. There's one more thing to throw into there. And I, I look at the, the guys from Clear with their biometrics. Yep. Uh, you know, anytime I go to an airport in the United States... And I'm a member of Clear. Uh, I don't even care if there's no line at PreCheck. I still go to Clear because it puts me to the front of the line anyway. Yep. But what's cool about it is it just reads my eyes and I'm in. When I come back to the United States and I go through global entry now, they've all gone to facial recognition. Yep. I don't even have to put my passport in the, in, the, in the reader. It just reads me, boom, receipt comes out. So think about what happens. You don't need your plastic key anymore. Yep. It's just biometric readers all over the city. It might be expensive to put them in every single room of a hotel room. That's a lot of biometrics for a, a single okay, building. Okay, maybe you're right about that. And also the other thing to think of is you know, even you can put hotel keys on your phone, but if you're talking about the kids coming and going as well, I mean, I took my kids to to Disney years ago and they're supposed to use their phone for stuff but half the time the battery was dead or they dropped it the screen was cracked ah, and, and so, now comes my favorite yeah, topic yeah. it starts with a P and ends with a T and it's called print yeah. I'm the old school guy I will not put my boarding pass on my phone because I'm scared to death my battery's going to die and it yep. has uh, I've seen airlines complete systems break down where they couldn't process anybody even to board the plane because they couldn't read the phones Yeah, I have a paper boarding pass boom boom I'm on the plane there's kind of a new school, old school version of that, which is if it's on the bracelet, and the cool thing with a bracelet is the kids will wear it, and adults too, will wear it for weeks or months afterwards, so it's great branding for that city or that area of that hotel, and it's in there. You can check that it's in there. It doesn't have a battery in it, so it's solid, and uh, it should be readable. Not as solid as paper well, or stone Well, you know, that's, that's the midpoint before they start inserting chips in my wrist. Well... Come on. You know uh, it's coming. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean... If you're if you're comfortable with you having your iris scanned, I think you know having a bracelet shouldn't be too too you know a step uh, too far. The next thing you know, it's Big Brother. Come on! I think this is a part of the thing. You have to have a city that's got a system built in that trusts how they're anonymizing the data, so that you really feel like you can trust they're not saving it. We're talking to Doug Lansky, the anonymous Doug Lansky. There we go. Uh, okay, here's all the good stuff about 
about data, about how you use it, about how it enables you to not have to stand in line, not have to wait, uh, to have a decent experience without thousands of people around you, uh, and giving you other options about how to spend your time in a different city. But then there's always the question of big data and how do they use it. I'll give you my example. Uh, And this goes back four years already. Uh, I was looking for a fair one night to go from Los Angeles to New York, and I didn't know what day I was going to go. So I was just researching the fair, and I came up with a fair of about $428 round trip. Uh, for a pretty close-in booking. I didn't know when I was going. I wouldn't find out for the next six hours. So six hours later, when I, when I found out what day it was going to be, I went back online, and the ticket was now 478 uh, And when I asked the airline how that happened, their answer was, well, the Transcon flight's very popular. It's the law of supply and demand. So it went up. I said, okay, fair enough. I'll take your word for that. But just to prove the point that I might have a problem with that, that night I went online, it was in November, and I and I looked for a fare from LaGuardia to Des Moines, Iowa in March on a Wednesday at 11 o'clock in the morning. Okay, your memory is insane. And Go I, ahead. And I found, <laughs> wait, and I found that fare. It was $228. <laughs> and I went back four hours later and it was $280. Now, no one could make the argument at that point that at 3 o'clock in the morning, there were 50,000 deranged travelers obsessed with going to Des Moines, Iowa, five months later on a Wednesday at 11 o'clock in the morning. The point being, they knew I was interested, and the fare was adjusted simply because of my interest. How does that How does that technology benefit me? Uh, it probably doesn't. I mean, uh, there's uh, some stuff that benefits the... Uh, there's some technologies out there that benefit the consumer, and there's other things that right. benefit the, the seller of these things. So, and but the moral to that story, that just so you not, know... Yeah. Right, but the moral They're, to that story is, if you're going to research a fare online, and you want to go back in later, clean out your cookies, right. or use somebody else's computer. There you go. And the irony of all ironies is, four years later, including today, I still get emails every Tuesday telling me about great deals to Des Moines. I didn't want to go then. I didn't want to go now. I mean, with no do, with no do, uh, you know, offense to Des Moines. Right. I mean, that, that I just had to prove the point. Don't you put those like uh, tag it as spam so they go right there with all the breast enlargement notices? You no, also I don't get? tag it as spam because I want to see it so I can talk about it on the air with you. <laughs> but but let's let's let's. Okay. But so there's a company oh, wait a out there. Breast enlargements in Des Moines? Maybe I'll go. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but so like when you go to when you go online and you see a website that's got an S in front of it. Yeah. You know, there's a it's a secure website. It's they've paid for have a third party make that website more secure. There's a company I think it's out of Ireland called Truatha or something like that. That's like a third party that will verify that your data is being anonymized in a proper, secure way. That's the key. So, I mean, there are companies out there specializing in this in the same way we have all these kind of security companies online as well, that they will. there are companies specifically set up to do exactly that and verify it, vouch for it, and certify it that it's totally anonymous. So you can go that route if you want to do it right. Yeah, but the point is, who's going to go the route? Do you have to do it or does the company do it? The company is going to have to do it. If not, you know, you can take steps to be an office. That's tricky as a consumer. But I, I think that the, cons- the the companies are going to win in the end when they do the right thing and protect people's data. Yeah, because the backlash is going to be severe. It's a trust thing. It's a whole trust thing. And if anything's come out of the pandemic, it's been uh, ill will and trust issues because people couldn't get refunds. They bought insurance that was worthless. People made promises they didn't keep. And here we are 18, 19 months later, are we going back to pre-pandemic bad behavior? Well, plus, I got to throw this in. It's so inconsistently crazy that when you're on an airplane, the you know COVID knows to stay away. Coronavirus stays away from you uh, when your food is out or there's a drink in front of you and you can everyone takes off their masks. And then five minutes later, when your food's been cleared away, everyone's got to throw their masks back on and the flight attendants come around and tell you your mask's not up high enough on your nose when two seconds ago you had it off for like an hour to eat lunch. 
It's like it feels so inconsistent. It makes Stand no, up, sit down. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. And well, what makes it what makes no sense is why would you want to eat airline food to begin with? Let's let's <laughs> let's, let's, let's take call your mask it what off. it is. To take your mask no, off. No, in fact, I think you need to keep your mask on when they serve the airline food because I don't trust the airline food. <laughs> <laughs> put a little straw through no, the mask. No, airline food is 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 one of the longest standing oxymorons in history okay right it's like military intelligence or yeah. or postal even service. in business there's some airlines in some classes that have i thought had really good food yeah but they took it off during the pandemic uh-huh. ah see so now it's amazing well that brings up another issue which is how many people in the service industry and hospitality and travel are using the pandemic as an excuse to permanently cut service and that's an issue that we'll be talking about on this show for weeks and months to come because it's happening left and right my thanks to doug to gary left and to aziz abusara and my thanks to you for listening to this ion travel podcast for more conversations with the world's leaders in travel and for answers to your travel questions be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts and for all the breaking travel news just log on to petergreenberg.com special thanks to our sponsors at clear enroll in clear at clearme.com peter and zip through busy airports nationwide If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladaris. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.